Revelation 2, 12 through 17, although probably not. Actually, we're going to do, I only plan to do, um, what, 15 and 16? Is that it? Yeah. Maybe we'll make it. Let's hope and pray. I'm going to read the whole passage, though. This is the church of Pergamos. I gave you an introduction last week. They are called the compromising or worldly church. Revelation 2.12, to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. See, Jesus said it too. The city that they lived in was so ungodly, so corrupt, he called it Satan's throne and the place where Satan dwells. I believe now it's somewhere back east. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Did you know that God hates things? He hates sin. He hates idolatry. Proud look, lying tongue. So forth. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, Hannah Whitehall Smith was part of the holiness movement in the 1800s. She wrote a book called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Now, she became a Christian universalist, which means she believed ultimately everyone gets to go to heaven. Obviously, I don't agree with that, but she had a great statement here about the church. The standard of practical holy living has been so low among Christians that very often the person who tries to practice spiritual disciplines in everyday life is looked upon with disapproval by a large portion of the church. And for the most part, the followers of Jesus Christ are satisfied with a life so conformed to the world and so like it in almost every respect that to a casual observer, there is no difference between the Christian and the pagan. The compromising church, the worldly church. Verse 14 we read, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, to commit sexual immorality. As I mentioned last week, the church in Pergamos not only had its immediate application with this letter, but the church of Pergamos represents that period of church history between the period of approximately 314 to 590 A.D. J. Vernon McGee, how many of you have heard of him? The late great J. Vernon McGee, he called Pergamos Paganism Unlimited. I wrote a song many years ago in my early rock and roll days called Sin Incorporated. And that certainly describes Pergamos. Paganism Unlimited or Sin Incorporated because during this time the entire world or the world entered the church and it began to move away from the person of Christ. Let's pray.
Father God, we ask your blessing upon this time in your word. Help us to get just as far as you want us to, and otherwise we'll save the rest for next week. Lord, bless the study. Speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start with verse 13. We did verse 12 last week. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this. This is my observation. Again, sin abounds everywhere. Praise God. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But it does seem that there are certain places, certain localities, where there seems to be a greater degree of evil. Now, sadly, I hate to say this, Albuquerque is the third trimester abortion capital of the United States. In other words, more third trimester abortions are committed here than anywhere else in the United States. That's pretty bad. We're also in the top five for violent crime every year. Sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower. We're always in that top five. So, and when I first moved here from Colorado, yes, Colorado, the once conservative state many years ago, I would feel a certain weirdness when I would drive into New Mexico. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. And I've talked to other people that felt the same way, but I've lived here so long now, I guess I just don't notice it anymore. But, you know, the Bible speaks about principalities and powers. Daniel was to receive a message from God. The archangel Michael told Daniel that the prince of Persia had hindered him from delivering the message. Michael was not speaking about an earthly man, the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia was a demonic entity, a fallen angel assigned by Lucifer over the region of Persia. So when you look at certain areas around the world, certain areas in the United States where there seems to be a greater abundance of evil or crime or what have you, there is a spiritual dimension to that. Do you do all follow me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I used to watch the news. I still watch the news a lot, but I, I noticed so often there were vile, weird things happening in Florida. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. This guy burying a little girl alive. And then there was that Casey Anthony whose daughter turned up dead. Remember? They tried her. She got off. But there was just always seemed like these really bad things happening in Florida. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be slamming Florida or the people of Florida. But from my observation, at least, it seems like that's a really strong area for demonic activity. And then there are other places where there seems to be Colorado Springs. Over the years, it was really interesting. One international ministry after another moved their headquarters to Colorado Springs. There was Compassion uh, International, um, and uh, Corey Ten Boom lived there in her final days. Um, I mean, it's just like one ministry after another was focused on the family, James Dobson. And it was just weird. There was just this, I mean, weird in a good way, 
that it just seemed like Colorado Springs became a magnet for Christianity and for Christian ministries. And so there's this dynamic that comes into play. And so I'm just telling you all this to give you some perspective on what Jesus is saying here by referring to Pergamos as where Satan's throne is and where Satan dwells. There's a significance here that these people were really up against it with regards to spiritual warfare. And he commends them. We mentioned Jesus always starts with a commendation before the rebuke. Because he loves us. And those whom the Lord chastens, he loves. But before Mary Poppins, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Jesus knew that long before Mary Poppins ever came along. And so he gives some commendations. He's not being disingenuous or insincere. Jesus would not commend you unless he meant it and you deserved it. He commends them, first of all, for remaining true to his name. You hold fast to my name. Folks, people are trying to erase the name of Jesus. You know that? I mean, the military, the chaplains are told you can't pray in Jesus' name. Uh, students, valedictorians giving speeches at their graduations, you can't pray in Jesus' name. On the, Down the line it goes. Why is that? Because Jesus, I don't care if you want to say Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, it's the most powerful name in the universe. It's the only name given under heaven by which man must be saved. So naturally, which name is going to be mocked and cursed and eradicated? Christians, we can't give in to that. Well, I better not say Jesus. They might be offended. I'll just say God. I'll say higher power. I'll say cosmic consciousness. No, no, no. It's the name above all names. The cancel culture is out to cancel Jesus. You hear about them wanting to take down his statues now? They're out to cancel Jesus. I tell you, again, if that's the country you want, where we can't have heroes anymore because all of our heroes, our role models, our mentors are imperfect, therefore they must be canceled. Is that the country you want? It's the one you're going to get if Joe Biden gets elected. Oh no, I violated that thing about, oh, pastors can't talk, can't endorse a candidate. Except Trump erased that. And even if he didn't erase it, it wouldn't stop me. And I hope you'll bake me a cake with a file in it. It's funny till it really happens. <laughs> so I might as well enjoy it while I can, right? Remaining true to his name in the midst of a powerful stronghold of Satan. You could go out on the street right now and say, Hail Lucifer. People probably give you a high five. You go out on the street and say, Jesus is king. You might get beat up or worse. Do you know that? That's what's happening out there. Secondly, they were commended for retaining their faith. You did not deny. And notice Jesus says, 
My faith. You see that? Hello. My faith. Did not deny my faith. It's his faith. He gave it to you. Do you know that? If God had not imparted to you the gift of faith, you wouldn't have any. Did you know that? You better thank God for it. Thank you, God, for giving me the faith to believe in you, to trust in you. And pray for your unsaved family and friends, co-workers, that God will give them the gift of faith. And you know what? If you want it, if they want it, and you say, God, please give me the faith to trust you, to hope in you, to believe in you, he will do it. He is faithful. But he commends them for retaining their faith under the threat of martyrdom. Antipas, my faithful martyr who was killed among you. Now, to add even further definition to this idea of Satan's throne, where Satan dwells. They had a temple there of Asclepius. He was a pagan god of healing, quote, represented in the form of a serpent. Who does that remind you of? That's why Jesus said, where Satan dwells, the throne of Satan is. They're one of their chief gods, if not the chief god. They had more than one. Asclepius, the serpent god. In South America, it's Quetzalcoatl. How many of you heard of Quetzalcoatl? The serpent god. It's interesting, there are cultures all over the world that have serpent gods. Why did uh, Satan get kicked out of heaven? He wanted to be worshipped as God. Now, so he commends them for these two really good things. Remaining true to his name. They weren't ashamed of the name of Jesus. Even as they lived where Satan dwells, where Satan's throne is. And they did not shrink back even after Antipas was killed, martyred for his faith. But having initially commended the believers in Pergamos, Again, those whom God loves, he chastens, he rebukes. Jesus must now rebuke them. Because remember, this church is identified as the compromising church or the worldly church, and we will find out here in a moment why. So two commendations, and now he says, I have a few things against you. You have there those among your members among your, in your church who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Interestingly, the name Pergamos, in the Greek it's citadel, but it can also mean married. And this church was married or wedded to some doctrines and practices that were wrong, false doctrine. And there were two serious problems that existed at Pergamos, we'll touch on the first one today and then we'll conclude next week. The first one is the teaching or doctrine of Balaam. In Numbers 22 through 25, Balaam refused to speak what God did not speak. He was a prophet. He was called upon by King Balak of Moab to prophesy against the children of Israel 
Balak did not want them entering the promised land. But Balaam refused and would not curse the Israelites, even though Balak, king of Moab, offered him money to do so. Numbers 22 through 24. But Balaam's error and the source of his wickedness came from sabotaging the Israelites as they entered the promised land. Even though he couldn't prophesy against them, he cooked up another way to subvert them. According to Numbers 31.16 and Revelation 2.14 here, Balaam returned to King Balak and informed the king on how to get the Israelites to curse themselves by enticing them with prostitutes and unclean food sacrificed to idols. The Israelites fell into sin due to these traps and God sent a deadly plague to them as a result. Numbers 31.16 At Pergamos, the church was wedded to the world in order to get worldly advantages, the compromising church, the worldly church. Again, like I mentioned last week with Smyrna, or the various churches, not only do these churches represent the immediate history of the first century, and not only do they represent a particular time in church history, all these churches still exist today in one form or another. We certainly have the compromising and worldly church today it's alive and well, and it's big. Wedded to the world in order to get worldly advantages. You see, the less a pastor, teacher, leader talks about the blood of Christ, the cross of Calvary, the sin that we all have, the less they speak of those things, the more likely they are to draw a larger crowd and get a bigger offering, right? And so that's what you see often with these well-known preachers. Everything is soft-soaped, soft-pedaled, nothing that might ruffle anyone's feathers, rattle anyone. It's just, make me okay, preacher, make me feel good. And then in return, I'll put money in your offering. Partnering with the world. And so if you embrace ungodly, unbiblical practices like homosexuality, he just said that, gay marriage, transgenderism, abortion. Again, God loves everyone. God so loved the world. There is no sin that he cannot and will not forgive except the unconfessed sin. Hello? You have to come into agreement with God. That's what the word confession means. I agree with you, God. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. But if we don't talk about these things, how will people know? Right? Right? If I get up here every Sunday and just tell you, you know what? You're a great person. I'm okay, you're okay. Right? God loves you, which he does. But there's more to the message than that. All you got to do is just ask Jesus into your heart. That's true too, but that's not the entire message. I went through watching videos by Rick Warren. Try to see if he was preaching the true gospel. 
He never talked about sin. He never talked about confession or repentance. All he said was, God loves you, invite Jesus into your heart. Jesus won't come into the sinful heart. You've got to confess. You've got to repent. You've got to ask him to wash you with his precious blood to make a suitable habitation for the Holy Spirit. There's a term called easy believism. The problem is, it won't get you into heaven. Only by embracing the true gospel of Christ. The church wedded to the world in order to get worldly advantages. 2 Peter 2.15 They, Peter's referring here to false teachers, have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And so we have these teachers on the radio, on TV, tickling people's ears, telling them what they want to hear so that people will send them their money. And they have jet airplanes and they have mansions and they have luxury cars. And they tell you that you can have them too, but the only ones who ever seem to get them are the preachers. Right? Jude 1.11, Woe to them, false teachers, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah, who rose up against Moses, God's appointed leader. 1 Timothy 6.3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Uh, it's been said more than once, sadly, sadly, it's a, it's a very poor testimony for the body of Christ, the church of God. There's big money in the Jesus business. And you know what? That, sadly, that's true. But we're not in the Jesus business. We're in the Jesus family. The family of God, right? The body of Christ. It's not a business, although... As a church, we have to employ and utilize good business practices in order to keep our church on an even keel. But the church is ultimately not the building, it's the people, right? The body of Christ. We're an organism, not an organization. Hello? And I've told people before, those who are fed up with the organized church, please come here. We're about as disorganized as you can get. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your awesome book, the Bible, your word, for the incredible amount of wisdom, understanding, guidance, conviction that we find in it. Lord, it 
Your word does bring us comfort and encouragement and strength. But part of that encouragement and comfort and strength is holding us accountable, Lord. A lot of people don't want to be held accountable. Lord, but you want to hold us accountable because you want us to see you face to face one day. You want to keep us in the love of God. You want to, to keep us in the mind of Christ with a godly biblical worldview. So we, we thank you for what we've learned today and what we will learn next week as we gather again. Help us to apply these truths to our own lives, Lord, as we go throughout this week. Pray for your hand of protection upon each one here today, your hand of blessing. And Lord, we ask that you would just help us to walk in the Spirit, not walk after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit, Lord. Thank you that you promised to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, and we humbly ask for the empowering, the anointing, the infilling of your Holy Spirit that we might live godly lives in Christ Jesus. And before I close out this prayer, I'm going to ask anyone who has a special prayer need today, raise your hand. We would like to pray for you, whether it's for health, economic issues. It could be for yourself or somebody else. Because if they're not here and you are, you're standing in their place. It could be for a job that you might need, a job that you don't like. (laughs) Whatever it is, raise your hand. We want to pray for you. Okay, Father, we lift all these up to you now in Jesus' name. You see each one. You know each one. With God, you know what their heart's desire is. You know what's on their hearts this morning, the concerns they have, the issues they have. We pray for physical healing for those in need of a healing touch from you, Father. We pray for those who need a job that you would provide it, Lord, or provide for them however you choose to do so. You have promised to take care of us, to provide us with the essentials of life, the food, the clothing, the shelter. We pray that each one would have that. Lord, for those who have issues with relationships, broken relationships, damaged relationships, strained relationships, bring healing and help these here today with their hand up to be arbiters of peace. Your word says, blessed is the peacemaker. Help them to be peacemakers and to do all they can to mend broken relationships, Lord. Help them to forgive where necessary. Lord, give us that gift of forgiveness. Help us not to hold bitterness, anger, resentment against anyone. Lord, your word says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Help us to give that anger to you and to forgive in our own hearts and minds those that need to be forgiven. And if necessary, go to them in person and tell them, I forgive you, or maybe to ask for forgiveness. But Lord, you know every heart, every hand that's raised. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. Bless them. Provide for them body, soul, mind, and spirit. Give them comfort, give them peace, give them strength. We know that you're faithful, that you do hear the prayers of your people, and we thank you right now for answered prayer for each one of these that's raised their hand today. In Jesus' name, amen.